a very warm welcome back to a new episode of For the Love of Weather podcast, our first one of 2022. This is the podcast where we discuss all things weather and how it can impact our daily lives. And we hope, like always, that you leave every episode loving the weather just that little bit more. My name is Gemma. Hello, everyone. Happy New Year to everyone. My name is Ashling, And today we have someone very special with us, Nina Constable. She is an award-winning documentary filmmaker and photographer. Her films have screened in festivals. You may have seen her work in Springwatch, Countryfile, BBC, ITV, all other platforms that you can think of. And we just fell in love with Nina's wildlife photography and filmmaking on social media. We feel actually really humbled and thankful that you have joined us here today to give us your time. And we just want to chat to you about how the weather impacts your work. So Nina, you're very welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It's a real pleasure to be here. So like always we always ask our guests where did that first spark of joy when was that first memory where you thought to yourself am I either going to take a picture or I'm going to take a picture of wildlife what when was what was the moment how old were you can you remember any like points where that kind of just went I'm gonna do something with that so I think I was actually really late to the game of kind of really getting into or feeling like wildlife and being involved in kind of filmmaking could be a career for me. So when I was younger, I always loved nature. I was obsessed with David Attenborough's documentaries and things, but I think it was, I was definitely kind of much older when I kind of first, well, I think for me, it was understanding that there was a real sense of urgency to do something to help. I think that was the big thing for me and where I started to get actively engaged in environmental and conservation filmmaking. I think it was a growing understanding of the situation that our environment is in and understanding that there might be something that I could do to contribute towards it to help or raise awareness. Were you really young when that happened or was that something that fell out of university? So it was actually something that probably came during university, but not studying my own degree. Um, My partner is a marine biologist and he was studying marine biology at Southampton. I was reading English literature at Reading and I was just much more interested in the things that he was learning about. And I actually Mm. sat in a good lecture on basking sharks and we would just chat about his work. And I actually ended up somehow doing my dissertation on well, I did it on Darwin and origin of the species and kind of how his work was interpreted kind of from when it was published to modern day. And so I think it was at university that I really started to want to know more about science because I didn't do sciences to A level or anything um, because I just, I think English and the arts were the things I excelled in. And so I don't think I had much confidence in my scientific kind of prowess. But it's actually been quite a really interesting thing coming at it from a different angle, from a storytelling angle and realising that actually I didn't necessarily have to have a science degree to be able to contribute to kind of science communication. And so I think it was a growing confidence as I was learning about things that my partner was doing. And then I did an internship after that in Mozambique, took a week, a year out spent six months producing films for a scientific research um, organisation who are working on manta rays, whale sharks and turtles. And I just fell in love with the research side of it and learning and then realising that actually 
not everybody watching it is going to have a scientific background and actually in order to, to be able to communicate it properly it had to reach beyond the scientific community and so I think it was kind of a growing confidence um a growing understanding and then understanding what I could give um so yeah I think it was during university but not actually studying for my own degree <laughs> Sounds fascinating. Yeah, it is fascinating. It's always the way as well, isn't it? You think you want to do one thing and it ends up being something else. You're incredibly talented, Dina. I think you're kind of underselling, you know, that that story there. I mean, you must have realized that there was like some skill in your storytelling through that imagery. You know, there did you realize straight away? I mean, the stuff you do is incredible. That's a natural talent that you have. Did that, did that come through at any point before that? Oh, thank you. That's a really nice thing to say. Um, I don't know, to be honest. I think um, my mum's an artist and my sister has always been an amazing artist. But I think because they were both so good, it was always something that, like, my sister was the arty one and I was kind of the, the literary one. So I think it was something that I just always thought that it actually wasn't a strength of mine. And it was also during university as well that I my boyfriend bought me a film camera and I just became obsessed with photography but didn't really know anything about it had no underlying skills hadn't studied any photography so I think I just learned a style that aesthetically I really liked and I think I probably broke a lot of rules but I think yeah just I just had fun with it it wasn't for anything I wasn't studying it I was just given this gift of a camera that I just fell in love with and I think that um yeah just really helped develop a certain style that I don't think I had actually realized I had developed until quite a few people still comment that my films have a very specific look and I'm always just like well I just make them look how I think looks nice <laughs> but um but yeah I don't I, yeah I don't think it is something that kind of came early I think again it was something that um yeah I think it was university that was just this kind of amalgamation of me just kind of gaining confidence in things that I think I probably didn't think I did have skills in or didn't have a talent in and actually just enjoying them and then getting a growing confidence in them Mm -hmm. finding a style and then once you've got that style you can then take it forward I was just thinking when you were talking thinking about the fact that what you do in terms of communicating the science behind the wildlife and the everything that you're filming has a similarity to what we do in our jobs in that we take the science and we try and communicate the science behind the weather with the people in terms of Ash's job in terms of uh, the public that watch her on the tv um, or through the podcast it's a sim- similarity in that it's the communication side of it and when I was looking at your um your stuff on Instagram straight away I was like it's so easy to take in the story and get the message from it it just seeps out of everything that you do I think oh thank you and yeah I think it is like you said it's very similar to what you do and that it's almost like you're translating something Mm. um and there's you know it's one of the things that I've learned a lot that kind of different organizations or different kind of careers kind of create their own language that makes it seem like it's really complicated and that it's really hard for anybody outside to understand but actually once you learn that language you realize that often they they're all quite simple concepts and so it's just it is a a form of translating almost Mm. you do it incredibly incredibly beautifully 
Would you say the weather impacts your work? <laughs> um, everywhere with the filming side <laughs> of it. <laughs> it's such a huge part of it because I would say that 99% of my work is filmed outside. And so, yeah, the weather plays a big part. And it also, there's a balance between, as I've said, like the aesthetics of the films are really important to me. So often I do want, I want to be able to play around with the light as well. So times of day and whether it's overcast or whether it's like a sunrise or a sunset, that kind of thing also plays into the aesthetics of it, but also logistically, if it's howling wind, it's a nightmare with sound, or if it's pouring rain, it's a nightmare with camera gear. So I have to leave myself weather windows for planning, be ready to reschedule things. Or if you're working with somebody, if I'm working with a presenter who's got a very tight schedule, make sure that I have umbrellas and waterproofs and everything with me to deal with the weather. <laughs> so pretty much all of your planning revolves around the weather and what you think might might ha- so you must be you must be quite a dab hand at, you know looking through different weather apps and the weather forecast do you start have you started to kind of gain your expertise in that yeah so I have got so I, I check three <laughs> which might seem really silly but no? I do find that it actually really helps to kind of look across them but the main one I picked this up from um, I spent a long time early on in my career filming with fishermen and going out on boats with them and the weather has a huge impact on their work as well and they use an app called XC Weather and they just said that that was the one that they would absolutely swear by so from then I've used that one a lot and it's really good with also with your cloud cover and your rainfall and it can be quite precise but then it can also be quite optimistic <laughs> and so yeah. I've had some very wet shoots where it's said it's going to be dry yeah. and so checking across I use the Met Office and the BBC weather as well yeah. and I kind of look across all of them and you kind of yeah you get a better balance because you do find that some are really optimistic some are quite pessimistic and then if you kind of find somewhere in the middle yeah <laughs> Yeah, that sounds that sounds about right. It's it's actually really tricky because you, you kind of have to look at all of the weather apps and then you're looking for trends. So you're kind of looking and you're like, well, is there showers in all of them? Or is, you know, and in that way you just know, well, I've no luck to know when there's going to be showers. But actually that's pretty, yeah. I think three is pretty, pretty good. You know, I think that that's like, that's a good weather forecast as you're going to get. But I always maintain as well, people like fishermen, farmers, people who work the land and work outdoors are by far the most brilliant weather observers. So they might not, you know, maybe they don't know the same science that I do, but like the fundamental of any science, their observation skills are so, so, so important in what they do. And what they know is a thousand times more than what I I know. I might know other bits of science, but I wouldn't know all of the things that, that they do as well. Yeah, it's amazing. Like the fishermen would just so in tune, like you said, observing things. And my mum actually bought me a really amazing book um, last year that I don't think it's there. It's, I can't remember the name of it now. Um, I'll remember it afterwards. But it's basically about um, how out of touch we've become with observing how things around us can give us hints as to the weather and and how it, it, we can relearn it it is something that, and also about how 
there's especially in like in Cornwall as well where I live you get these very localized weather patterns as well and so it can say it's going to be pouring with rain but actually you'll get a beautiful day in Falmouth and someone's up in the clouds in Penryn and there are signs around you that might show you that and so that's a really cool thing that um, I've just started reading and thinking about yeah just observing and seeing whether I can learn any of that. But in your work you're already doing that you're you know you're looking you're absurd like I don't think you realize maybe of course you do you're you're a good really talking maker <laughs> but the amount of observation that you do and also it's helping others and helping us slow down and stop and look for the things because you are right we are out of touch life goes at 100 miles an hour like in one day I I might be in my job but my job might be busy for a completely different reason to something to do with the weather and I don't look out even outside the window as 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 much as I should have but I think with all of the work that is being done I guess when you want to look for it you'll find it as well but what you're actually doing is helping us observe slow down and show us what to look for to see what's there or what's not there Mm. yeah definitely and I think it's something that um not last year now the year before taught a lot of people even myself to be honest because I think I'm guilty of rushing around and then less it's work I do find that I actually spend a lot of time at the computer editing and I have to consciously make an effort to go outside in a day I'll be like oh, I've literally not not moved mm-hmm. um but I think that yeah 2020 was a year where everybody just had that little bit more time to slow down and look around and I learned a huge amount myself in that year, just I think being in the same place for all of the seasons and then you really start to notice the patterns and you really start. And then the following year, I think last year we had this incredibly cold April and then this very wet May. And because of kind of really noticing the year before, you had that really strong comparison and we were all in the same place. And I think that was really interesting to see. April was freezing last year and you know why I remember that so well I know it was really warm the first year of the lockdown because my boys grew so quick I normally by April I don't need to have them in as many long sleeve jumpers and trousers and it was so cold (laughs) all of April and all of May I was like so I have two boys the same age I was like oh my god I literally had to buy them a brand new wardrobe and I was hoping to like escape it for the summer but so for me I know it's for different reasons but you're absolutely right when you're in the same place you get to see the patterns and you get you know you really do start to start to notice what what's normal for your area I think also like last year, one thing I noticed was a lot of people were able to compare to the previous year. They'd been able to say, but last year, this time it was really warm. We had lovely fine weather. And I think, as you say, it's because we were in one place and we had got used to our surroundings a bit more and had time to observe it. And I thought that was really interesting how people were actually Mm -hmm. able to say, oh, notice that this May is very different to how it was last year. And that's something that I hadn't really heard many people talking about that much. And I think it's, as you say, it's because we've slowed down. I know I've definitely, I noticed the seasons way more than I did before. I love nature and I love going out and about, but I'd never really taken the time to observe it properly. 
And now when I'm going out, I notice things I never would notice before. Like I'm like, oh, those plants are blooming earlier than maybe they would have done last year. And I would never have noticed those things before because I'm running around trying to get on the tube. Whereas now I'm like, no, I'm going to take the time to notice those things. Definitely. And I think it was that thing where people were, because you're in the same place, I think it's those changes that not only you notice, but that kind of where you find your excitement and seeing a bulb coming up and seeing the leaves starting to green on a tree, or it's you're looking for those little signs that there's a change and a shift. And I think because you're noticing those things, then the next year, like I'm the same, like seeing the bulbs all starting to come up again, like the other day, I was like, oh, they must be. And then realized there was just leaves everywhere. And so I was like clearing leaves out of a plant pot. I was like, the bulbs are here. <laughs> and it's just those little things that you kind of, we were looking for excitement or hope in hope, yeah. places that we perhaps hadn't looked for it before do you think um that experience of slowing down will change how you make films do you think it's going to change what you do or how you do it or is it just going to enhance it that's a good question I think I what it really made me consider was it made me much more appreciative of UK wildlife and working in the UK And I think it also made me much more conscious of, with film jobs, whether I need to go to a certain place, if I need to go abroad, or whether actually I could work with a film, a local filmmaker in that place. And just from an environmental point of view as well, because I think that was one of the things that we were all Mm. very aware of, that, um, you know, there were less flights, less cars, and you know, nature bounced back in a lot of places or pollution levels were at their lowest ever. And I think that it made me kind of consider whether I have to do everything myself. And I do really love it. I love kind of every element of the filmmaking process, but I think it made me consider where I might collaborate and work in a kind of greener way. That's Mm. wonderful. That's amazing. It's like pretty profound. (laughs) it is I mean basically (laughs) but it is though you're basically rethinking how you've read like you you know that's that's a really big big thing you know and also that it's really hard when you love something like you do to say no or to say oh I'd really love to go there and see all of that but I'm actually going to make a decision for the environment not to do that like that that's not lost on me at all how that must be that's quite quite hard to say no to something for that reason and not easy as well I think there's I kind of had to during the pandemic when I was producing um a certain uh producing Beavis Without Borders and we were filming there was something we wanted to film in Bavaria and I couldn't go there and so just had to work really hard to find somebody and then find someone that you trust to do the filming and they did an amazing job but I'm in a similar situation at the moment where I've got some filming that is to be done in Northern Ireland and in Denmark but then actually trying to find filmmakers that you trust and Mm. having to reach out to networks and you get to a point where you're like is there actually anybody that I know I can trust or that I can afford as well and so it's just then it's the kind of energy that goes into that as well and how at what point you say do you know what actually as much as I would love to do this for the environment 
yeah. I can't find anybody and I am going to go and mm. I'll know that I'll so it's it, it's a balance but it's definitely something that even if I can't do it all the time I I am considering mm. and yeah it's a big thing for me as well to hand hand over work mm. as well yeah yeah it's a really big deal so gosh it's like your creative baby right there yeah <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned how the weather impacts like the day-to-day running of how you do your work but do you also find that it impacts the wildlife that you're actually filming I'm assuming that there'll be times when the conditions will be poor and actually what you're there to film won't want to come out and play they don't want to come out and say hello to the cameras that day so do you find that (laughs) do you find that the weather impacts the wildlife as well that you're filming yeah hugely it has a massive impact and like we said as well about kind of you know like last April it was very cold and that can have an impact on wildlife coming out later and I've actually had two years in a row I've been filming on this big conservation project happening on the River Severn and I actually totally finished the film yesterday which is really exciting it's coming out in February so um but that has taken a lot longer than it was meant to but mostly or in large part because of the weather because we're filming the migration of this fish called the twait shad and they only migrate up the river seven in may but i think two years ago the during their migration season it was the highest level of flooding they had ever had on the river i had these time-lapse cameras in place that were about 20 feet above the water got totally submerged by the rising water levels and then because of that there was so much sediment and mud in the water you couldn't see anything and so the underwater cameraman couldn't see a thing so you kind of almost didn't know whether the fish had migrated and then the same last year April was so cold that the migration was really late and then again I think we had a really wet May so then it was late and then the water levels rose and so we didn't get as much footage of the fish as we wanted but then that's where I think with the storytelling part of it you can you know obsess over a certain shot that you need or you collaborate with other people and you kind of source footage elsewhere or you just tell the story and so in it we've talked about the flooding and also the pandemic stalling things and you can just it just brings honesty honesty to it as well but then also I've had with I've done a lot of filming of beavers as well and um they there's an enclosure near me it was the first um beaver release in Cornwall and they'd built this big lodge on the bank side so you could literally just walk right up to lodge you could hear them and I hired out this um, lens that you kind of poke into the lodge to try and get footage of them inside the lodge. And so I'd ordered this camera, this lens in from Bristol. And then the night before there was massive flooding and they got flooded out of their lodge and they'd been in there for about three weeks. And so I paid to hire this lens and they were, it was empty. And I just, in my head, had conjured up this image of like these really cute beavers um, snuggling up together. So rain <laughs> rain and cold mm. um but there's lot lots of ways you know in which um yeah wildlife is impacted by the weather and you just have to manage your expectations I think mean, that's a big part of it and I can't promise that I'll get certain shots all I can do is try and leave as big a window as possible in order to 
attempt to capture it but yeah sometimes it doesn't happen have you had any sort of profound moments during your filming so you've you've like you've sort of meandered into this through university and found this well the side that was clearly already there but sort of came to life and you mentioned about David Attenborough growing up and sort of wanting you know just being really in 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 love with what he does but have you had a moment where you thought really this is just so important to what I'm doing has there any been anything that's happened that you're like wow I need to keep doing this I need to keep telling these stories I think there's been a couple of times I think very early on when I was doing my internship in Mozambique and I think it was starting to see how the films I was producing for this organization was actually really helping their conservation and helping so they one of the films I produced they it was a fundraiser I think they were doing they wanted to generate funds and it ended up um, getting them some huge donations so they could continue to do a lot of the work that they were doing and that was just like oh that and I don't know if that was something that I had even considered really I think I was just thinking maybe it would raise awareness or I was interested and maybe other people would be interested, but to actually think that it can help drive conservation, that was a really a big thing for me. And I think that has also shaped the way in which I work, where I don't often work for big productions. Often it is working directly with the charitable organisations and producing films for them that are to raise awareness or to help them generate funding to be able to continue the conservation work so it's very much working with the conservationists which is why often I sometimes feel like a bit of a fraud when I say I'm a wildlife filmmaker because I think it's it is almost it's a different type of way in which I work and and then again I think the second time is when I I spent two months out in Africa working with Save the Elephants and produced a number of films for them and while I was out there there was an elephant that was poached and produced a film about this that ended up winning quite a few awards and then kind of being shown globally and that again helped to generate funds for their organisation and to help fund their work and I think it was a similar thing but then also seeing that with your own eyes seeing an elephant that has been poached I think it's a pretty shocking thing to see especially when you've spent time with them alive and amongst them as well so yeah I think seeing the shocking side of it but then also the positive side of it as well and how that tragedy could be turned into something that could garner support for the conservation of a species. Which actually brings me on to my next question Um, I was looking through some of your work you know before this podcast and something that just has come up for me at the moment as well uh, with other work that I'm doing but you mention quite specifically about filmmaking with hope He's telling a story, but including hope. Can you do you want to tell us a little bit about that? I think for me, that's always been something that's so important to to have hope. I think maybe sometimes I could be seen to be a bit naive, but I am hopeful. I think I'm hopeful that in I have hope in people, and I think when I've watched a film that has been about a certain issue where it needs, it's raising awareness or it, you know, it needs an input from somebody. If you get to the end and it just, there is no hope. You, you, I 
end up feeling almost like what's the point then if this is just you know this is all doom and gloom then and you end up feeling helpless and just like there's actually nothing I can do and so I think from my experience of watching films it's the ones that have left me with hope that have made me want to take action or one that has a direct call to action as well I think that's something that I learned from early on I did it wasn't something I would include in my films and afterwards like some if it was a live screening someone would come up to me and just say you know this has made me really want to do something what can I do and that left me feeling like I need to give people something to do I need a call to action so at the end of the film if you have made somebody feel hopeful and empowered that they could actually do something they need to know what that is and so that's also something that I feel is really important to include as well and I think it just we often I don't think we understand we often underestimate sorry the power of the individual and how much just impacting one person, you know, if one of my films has impacted one person, that is for me, that's job done because you don't know who they're going to talk to or or action that might make them take. And so, yeah, it's just something that has always resonated really strongly with me. And so it's something that I feel is really important to offer to an audience watching a film as well. It's really lovely and totally right as well. Just... Yeah, beautiful thought. I've become really, really interested and passionate recently. And I am trying to learn as much as I can about more conservation stuff. And so now my a lot of my social media feed is filled with people like yourself, filmmakers and nature film um, presenters and conservationists. The sense I get from the community is that hope and there's always something there's always a message there that I can take away and I leave knowing that there is something that I can do it might not be the same thing that they're doing but actually there's something that I can do I think it's so important what you've said Mm -hmm. and I just want to say thank you as well because yeah your stuff is so it's so inspiring and it is so informative and as I said I do leave thinking I can make a difference Mm. So I am going to sign up and I actually am going to do this. I'm going to sign up and go and monitor and count whales and dolphins on a boat. That is something that I'm going to do because I love whales and dolphins and I want to help you in any way I can. I get a bit seasick, probably not ideal, but I'm going to sign up anyway because I know it's something something that I can do and something that I'll enjoy. So yeah, that call to action and showing people. Uh, the hope is so so important so for those that no, don't know Gemma the way I do she's absolutely going to do that so there we go watch this space <laughs> I've already researched it yeah. I also signed up and counted walruses from space it was so interesting honestly there was this um experiment and you they gave you satellite images and you had to say if you could see the walruses it was to work out how climate change was impacting the populations and for someone that loves satellite images and nature I was like yes this is definitely what I'm doing (laughs) sign me up (laughs) this is my Sunday (laughs) that's awesome well, we won't keep you too much longer on all of the work questions, but we do want to do a little get to know me round where we get to know you in a little bit more of a different way where we're not chatting with work. So Gemma, do you want to take it away? 
Yep. So these are just a couple of random questions. Some have a little bit to do with the weather and some of them are very, very random. Just It's it's a quick fire round, but we've renamed it Get to Know Me Round because Ash asks too many follow-up questions. That's the only reason we renamed it. So. <laughs> I just naturally, one might say nosy, but I say curious. <laughs> I'm naturally curious. <laughs> so I keep, I'm, I, try, I try not, you'll see me sitting here going, don't ask, don't ask, don't ask. <laughs> so our first question that we always ask everybody on this round is do you have a favorite season yes what is it oh, I obviously need to say what it is <laughs> keeping it a secret <laughs> yeah. um i would say <laughs> um late spring early summer that kind of crossover where you're not properly in summer but it's just yeah it's my favorite Oh, you know, we're already best pals. This is amazing. This is my favorite. <laughs> we have a little bit of rivalry because I'm autumn and Ash is spring. So on our podcast, we're like, oh, who's in the lead? Gemma, Gemma though, is slowly migrating over to my way of thinking, though, I think. Slowly. I'm, ch- I'm chipping away at you. I'm chipping away. I'm getting to the stage now where I'm noticing the spring and I'm like, oh, okay. It will t- soon be time for bluebells. And I'm like, oh. But then I also then think to the autumn colours and I had to switch back again. You <laughs> love two things, Gemma. That is true. That is yeah. true. <laughs> Snow, yes or no? Snow, yes. Okay. Ah, now, is that where you live or if you went or like for skiing or like why yes? I just love when it snows and landscapes just transform Mm. just and we don't get very much here in Cornwall at all but my sister lives up in Scotland and she sends me pictures when it's all looking really beautiful and it just but I also um I really love snowboarding as well it's really fun and just being in the mountain yeah being in the mountains and yeah I I love it yes to that yeah tea or coffee tea Jamie Dodgers. Sorry, no, is that black tea? Is I knew that, that was coming. Yeah. Is that black tea, like, or what should you focus on normal tea? Or is it, do you have any other teas or is it just yes. tea? Good old fashioned tea. Builder's tea, builder's brew. I actually can't drink coffee um, at all. It makes me feel like I'm about to have a heart attack. <laughs> that is not I'm a bad exactly thing. Same. I'm exactly the same. Tea. I love a good builder's tea, but coffee, oh, I can't do it. Heart palpitations, it's just, no. Does, no. I only started drinking coffee about five years ago, so I went most of my life without it, and then I had a coffee one day, <laughs> actually with a mutual friend of myself and Gemma's, and I was hungry at the time, and the coffee just didn't taste so bad, because I was kind of hungry, and then it was just a slippery slope since then. I've just been drinking coffee, but you're definitely doing the right thing because I, if I haven't had a, co- I have one coffee a day, I limit myself to one coffee. But if I don't get it, everybody knows. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's quite obvious. Anyway, so it's better to be healthy. Well done. <laughs> so to go with your cup of tea, Jeremy Dodgers or Jaffa Cakes? Oh, Jaffa Cakes. Oh yeah, I see both of them are really good. You can, yeah, they're they're good shades both of them. I mean, if I'm totally honest, my biscuit of choice would be a chocolate hobnob. But <gasps> would that Shout. be That's would that be the milk <laughs> chocolate one or the more rarer form of the dark chocolate form? 
Oh, I actually haven't had the dark chocolate form. It might be incredibly rare down here. <laughs> so I the milk chocolate was the one I was thinking of. Mm, lovely. <laughs> actually, once we finish this podcast, I'm going downstairs. I don't have any chocolate hobnobs, but I do have chocolate digestives, and that's what I will be having with my coffee. <laughs> <laughs> if you were a fruit or vegetable, what would you be? Ah, that's a great question. <laughs> what would I be? I really don't know. Maybe a pear, but that's only because I've got a bit of an obsession with pears. I really love them. Is that, is that, <laughs> is that pregnancy related or is that always? Um, I think I've always really liked them, but I don't, I definitely bought them a lot more in pregnancy than beforehand. But I think I've always loved pears, but recently, just every time I see one, I need to buy it and eat it. <laughs> that is a really, really delicious. good pregnancy craving. Seriously, that's that's the healthiest pregnancy <laughs> craving I've ever heard of. <laughs> and you're the first person to say that on the podcast. Yeah, as well. We've never had a pair before. It's a great answer. <laughs> if you could invite one person to dinner and it can be anybody at all from any historical time frame, they can be fictional, who would you invite? I know probably many people say this, it's a very obvious one, but I would, it would be David Attenborough. I would love to have a conversation with him and be in the same room as him. That was my answer when I did answer oh, that question yeah, as well. Here, here to that. So great. Yeah. yeah. He'd be so interesting. I just, oh, to have five minutes just to ask him I don't even... one question would be amazing. <laughs> I know. I don't even, I think I'd actually don't even know what I would say to him. I'd have to really I think I'd probably be quite starstruck yeah and I don't know if I'd be able to form a sentence but even yeah. just to be in the same room as him I think yeah. I would feel like um you've done it yeah you've done it <laughs> I've been with Sir David yeah. <laughs> <That'd be weird. laughs> just get your t-shirt made up by the way <laughs> <laughs> Are you team sunset or sunrise? So I would say sunset and just because of laziness, really, because I get up so early for work a lot to actually have an opportunity to see a beautiful sunset and not have to have got up at the crack of dawn is really nice. Mm -hmm. But then sunrises are often, depending where you go, much quieter. So I think it can be a much more peaceful experience Mm because... Okay, that is not lazy set, if but... you've been up early, by the way. That one bit lazy. Winter sunrise, but summer sunset. <laughs> yeah, no, That's I'm, a great I'm answer. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes it's like 8 a.m. and it's still, I think, before Christmas, and you're just like, it's actually still dark. I know, <laughs> yes. it's just depressing. <laughs> yeah we're on the up we are on the up actually I've really noticed it the last week we're really but we're we're at this lovely time of year where we're gaining like 20 minutes a day or 20 minutes a week so you know over three weeks that's an hour it's a big deal Mm. yeah so we've got two more questions our first one is have you got a hidden talent um I don't know I well I play the piano I don't know if that's like not really really well so that's why I was like I don't know if it's a talent I don't know ah, if people it listening is. would think it that's, was a talent if people don't know that you um, do it it is a talent 
Um, but yeah, there we go. Um, yeah, I play piano. And our final question. Oh, no, actually, I lied. There's two more questions because I can't not ask you this <laughs> random question that's coming up. So this one's really random. Fingers for toes or toes for fingers? Fingers for toes or toes? Fingers for toes. Yeah. Yeah. Fingers for toes. We've only had one toes for fingers per- person say toes for fingers and they were yeah. a builder and they said that is because they're on their feet all day. So then they'd have somewhere else to stand. I thought that was very, oh. I would never have thought of that. I've never thought of that. No. Yeah. No, so I was just thinking, yeah. Yeah. But the fingers for toes would be so much better. You could just do so much more. Think of all the characters you could use, Nina. (laughs) And this is our final question. (laughs) So the final question is, one thing that you wish everybody knew about filmmaking or photography? One thing I wish everyone knew. (laughs) So this might sound really negative, (laughs) but that you can't photoshop film like you can photographs the amount of people that are just like I don't know wearing a hat with something ridiculous like oh would you mind taking your hat off and they're like oh you can just photoshop that out can't you you're like no not for a film no and honestly the things that people have said where I'm like oh can you just move this way a little bit because there's a signpost in the way and they're like just photoshop it out (laughs) (laughs) I think that's actually a good one a bit of a negative thing no it's a really good one I I totally get that just so I work with stills and video quite a lot as well oh my god if something is wrong on a video it's just it's just like it's you know and and it becomes and once you see you you cannot unsee it once you've seen something that you're unhappy with you can't unsee it you know (laughs) no I think that's a really good one I think it's a really good one (laughs) So before we let you go, Nina, we do love all of our guests to give us a little weather wisdom. So what have you got for us today? So my weather wisdom is apricity, which is the heat of the sun that you can feel on your skin on a winter's day. Oh, lovely. And we've had a little bit of that this week as well. I've I've definitely noticed some when I've been outside, just a little little whiff of a hue of something resembling spring just calling in the distance oh god it's just <laughs> that feeling you're just like oh it's there the warmth is just yeah. coming back a little bit now but I think if you're someone who actually yeah, like it's amazing it, it really is if you are someone if you've managed to get out for a walk or I mean you just love getting I mean I love getting outside especially if it is during the day because if I'm not working I'm always working but you know <laughs> I'm always in a hustle and a bustle going somewhere and it's just nice to actually just stop and be like oh you know there's just a little hint of a little hint of something changing out there Nina thank you so 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 much for joining us today we have really appreciated it and if you've listened to this episode and enjoyed it as much as we have we would love it if you would subscribe rate and review the podcast and share it with anyone that you would think and might want to have a little listen if you want to follow us on social media you can find us on instagram and tiktok where we are for the love of weather on twitter we are the number four love of weather and nina where can people find you if they want to check out some of your work so my social media handle is at nina constable media and then the same for my website it's just nina constable but um that should come up my social media is the same across all channels 
Very you should definitely check highly, it out because yes. it's amazing. It's really, it's, yeah, so it's, it's, it's pretty incredible. And we're just so grateful for you giving us your time today as well. And as always, we hope that you leave this episode just loving the weather that little bit more. Thanks for listening. Thank you.